0: Hi everyone. This is Jamac. I am the creator of Data Mesh, uh, the founder of Next Data. We are reimagining what data sharing could look like. We are growing our team rapidly, and we need you. If you are a distributed systems engineer, if you are a product manager or designer of a large-scale, PaaS SaaS infrastructure, please check out our page at nextdata.com and look at our open roles. We'd love to hear from you.
1: A written transcript of this episode is provided by Starburst. For more information, you can see the show notes. Welcome to Datamesh Radio with your host, Scott Hurlman, sponsored by Starburst.
0: This is Adrian Estalla, VP and Field CDO at Starburst and host of Datamesh TV. Starburst is the leading contributor to Trino, the open source project. And the Data Mesh for Dummies book that I co-wrote with Colleen Tarto and Andy Mont.
1: To claim your free book, head over to starburst.io. Data Mesh Radio is provided as a free community resource by my company, Data Mesh Understanding. It is produced and hosted by me, Scott Herleman. This is going to be a panel because while I clearly am not shy about talking. I want to give others in the community a voice too. It definitely shouldn't only come from me. We should be hearing from many different people doing this. If you want to participate in a panel, please do get in touch. You can go to datameshunderstanding.com to see some of the other free community-friendly programs and the other learning resources we have. And you can check out our actually quite reasonably priced offerings. So let's hear some fun music and then jump into a quickish summary of what you'll hear about in this panel. Episode 251, a panel tying the business strategy to the data strategy and data work, and vice versa. Bottom line up front, what are you going to hear about and learn about in this episode? Guest host Berce Gultekin, who's the chief data and analytics officer at Friesland Campina, facilitated a discussion with Gada Rishani, the managing director of data and technology strategy and project management office at Bank of America, as well as guest of episode 206, Beth Bauer, who's the CEO of our own consulting company, Poseroy, and guest of two hundred and eight uh, episode 218, and Michael Tolan, senior product management consultant and coach at Pathfinder Product Labs. As per usual, all guests were only reflecting their own views. This topic for the panel was how do we tie the business strategy all the way down to the actual data work? via the data strategy and vice versa, you know, of making sure the data work is tied back into that business strategy. It's a complex topic. So a lot of this is about driving to good ways of working and keeping sight of the you know, actual overall business goals and, and how we can think about that type of thing. Quick note, as per usual with panels, I wanted to share my takeaways rather than trying to reflect the nuance of each panelist and views individually. That would be just too much. So here are my top eight takeaways. Number one, it's easy to lose sight of the data work when focusing on a data strategy. Make sure to understand and lay out your understanding of what will, what work will need to actually happen, you know, at a high level to deliver on your data strategy. Essentially, make sure you can execute on your data strategy via work and not just words. And don't you dare forget your data governance. Number two, In many organizations, there is some, maybe a lot, of cultural change necessary before the data strategy regularly and heavily influences the business strategy. You need to prove the data work drives business outcomes and is aligned to the business strategy for a while, maybe two to three years even, before the data strategy can be a key factor in shaping the business strategy. I know a lot of you out there are kind of feeling that. Number three... Think about layering your data strategy to include what you can accomplish, at, you know, what value you can drive today based on past investments. And then you know the other aspect of what you are trying to build for the future where additional investments could drive more value down the line. If all you focus on when talking about your data strategy is areas for additional investment instead of reinforcing the value that's already been generated, it can feel like past investments haven't really paid off. If you don't share about what capabilities you've built and the value from them, why would someone want to invest in building future capabilities if you're not proving that there's value in them now? So just kind of make that a little bit more concrete. Number four, well-executed data work at its kind of core simplicity helps people to make better decisions. Lean into how your data work will help people to be better at their job. If you're pitching data as the kind of key decision maker itself, most business execs will at best laugh it off, but they'll probably feel somewhat threatened. Show them how data makes them better at making the key decisions, not that the data is making the decisions for them. Number five, the business strategy and data strategy are frameworks for making decisions. You know, help your organization understand how data will make them better at making decisions. Not just by being more informed, but having more focus on what information actually matters. There are so many inputs in the world to consider, so many different data sources and so much information flowing across uh, you know, everybody's desks. People are just information overloaded. The data strategy should be about finding what matters and elevating that so leaders can focus on execution, not sorting through and absorbing information from 150 dashboards. Number six, to develop an effective strategy, you have to understand where you are as a business. How can you know where you want to go and how you want to get there if you don't know kind of where you are? Look to assess your high-level organizational capabilities as well as assess at the line of business level so you can help people align on the work to be done. A low data literacy team, for example, trying to do advanced AI is a bad strategy. Understand where people are and what they can do and how they can move forward towards their goals. Number seven, to create a good data strategy, you need to actually understand what a data strategy is and how it applies to your specific organization. A data strategy isn't only about desired outcome, but you know that whole information life cycle from data acquisition and generation through to the management and then leveraging the information from the data work gained to drive you know business decisions and outcomes and say no to the sake of data for the sake of data, right? Say no to that. <laughs> and finally number 8, data leaders should help their business leaders to get data fluent to a degree, where those data leaders can leverage data and know where they are out of their depth right relative to data, and they should call in the experts to help them when they're out of depth. We don't need every executive to be highly data literate as long as they recognize where they have weaknesses and lean on the right people to help them with data when it is called for. Okay, with that summary of my top takeaways, and you can see the show notes for more takeaways if you'd like, but let's go ahead and actually hear from our awesome panelists themselves.
0: Welcome, everybody. I'm super excited to have you as panelists uh, for this Data Mesh Radio panel on tying the business strategy to data strategy data work. My name is Burce. I'm the Chief Data Analytics Officer of Friest and Campina, and I'm here together with Beth, Gada, and Michael. We'll start with round of introductions. Beth, let's start with you.
2: Thanks so, mu- so much. I'm really excited to be here with this group of panelists. It's a terrific Saturday morning. Uh, my name is Beth Bauer. I'm founder and CEO of Hazaroy, a consulting group uh, focused on positive return on investment with data. Uh, my background has been in data product innovations, primarily in the pharmaceutical industry for 35 years. And so we finally come to the point in time where data product innovations can come out in uh, multiple companies. Super excited to be here. Uh, I previously ran a um, Data strategy, uh, management, innovation, and enablement for Merck, as well as uh, advanced analytics and data science for IQ. Super cool. Very happy to have you
3: here. Gada, over, the, over to you. Well, hello, everybody, and thank you for having me today. Uh, I'm Gada Shani. I work at Bank for America. Uh, I lead the consumer data strategy for uh, the bank, as well as the um, uh, project management office. Um, talking about data and data strategy, business strategy, and bringing value. All that is kind of day-to-day work for me, so I'm very excited to have the conversation and learn some
0: as well from all of you. Really cool. Welcome welcome to the panel, Gara as well. Uh, very excited to hear from you, too. Michael, over to you.
4: Yeah, uh, like everyone else, I'm super excited to be here and joining this great discussion today. Um, I'm a senior product management consultant at a small startup, in Columbus, Ohio, called Pathfinder Product Labs, where we do strategy, coaching, and consulting work for large and small enterprises across the country. Um, I got my start at a large American telecom for about a decade, starting back in customer service and ending as a program product manager for large internal data platforms. And then currently right now, consulting with a Fortune 20 medical logistics enterprise to help them build out their data mesh for their commercial technologies unit. And then just help elevate some data practices and maturity across our organization. So thanks for having
0: me. Super cool. Well, we decided this will be super chill. It's very early morning over there. It's a uh, Saturday afternoon here. I will start with this question. What is data strategy and does it matter? <laughs> That's such a good question, right?
1: <laughs> All right
4: Lord.
2: If, if anyone wants to jump in, they can, but I, I, w- I will share what happened when I took a data strategy. <laughs> um, because what's interesting is that I don't know that there is an official definition of that, quite frankly, right? So you've got data, you've got digital, you've got data acquisition, you have data management, all of these things require data strategy. To me, it's the totality of but that's not necessarily how everyone else thinks. What do you, What are the rest, What do you What do you mean by a totality of it? Totality of what? It is a combination of tying data to the to the business, being able to have a strategy for acquiring data, managing it throughout the organization, ensuring that the um, usages of these are governed, enabled and that the value is actually created through that. So Mm -hmm. that means not only connecting the data aspects, but the downstream users to ensure that they actually use the data that's created and and creating, enabling, and engaging processes through which it ensures that that happens.
3: Yeah, so thank you, Beth. I like that perspective. From my perspective, it's um, the data strategy is a kind of a piece of the puzzle in any, any business, um, it's an enabler. Um, and, and the way we do it is to, again, if you're serving a business, if you're serving a customer, if you're serving a stakeholder, it's like, what can you do from a data perspective, which is a key part of that whole story to, to lead them to the outcome they're looking for. Um, So that's how I think about it. So data strategy is my roadmap. Um, How am I going to get to the target from my kind of recipient's perspective, whether it's the, again, internal stakeholders, external stakeholders, customers, internal, external, it doesn't matter. How do I add that value? How do I get there?
0: Yeah, I I like this uh, totality view. So it's almost like in congruence with the business strategy and everything else along with the users. And you just said enabler, Gara, and I want to pick up on that a bit. Like, uh, how does data strategy become an enabler of business strategy? Or is there a way, actually, you can put it in the core of the business strategy instead of an enabler? Can we imagine that world?
3: Uh, yes. I mean, again, it's my experience, my my personal view is if you don't have data and data strategy as part of the kind of the fabric that makes your business strategy, it's always going to be seen as an overhead. Mm-hmm. Like It's always like, oh, that thing in data. Oh, we have to invest in something that we're not going to realize the value for. And it takes a lot of money and resources. So absolutely, it has to be part of that business strategy. So a building block that sits kind of integral to the business uh, strategy. Mm-hmm.
0: I, where do you stand, Michael?
4: You know, I I. I don't have a lot to add based on what, what was just said but i think it's important that anytime you're thinking about how you're going to implement a data strategy is really focusing on the two clear use cases that most organizations tend to see that their data has for them which is powering their applications and business processes that directly serve functions to support their customers and then the second one which often is the one that i find uh is the oversight uh where there's sort of a Missing the mark is how they use that data then to also generate insights to reinform their business strategy and make future business decisions. Mm -hmm. And oftentimes the focus is so much on serving that customer need that they forget about making certain that that data um, generates the insights they need to support the decisions they have to make. Um, And I think we probably could talk a lot (laughs) about it specifically, uh, but that's, that's what I would add there, is that any data strategy really needs a focus on those two aspects.
0: All right. I did, I did hear also decision-making, yeah? so in a way, decision-making enables business strategy and incongruence. Do you have examples where analytics, data, insights enable strategic decision-making? Can we get it more concrete?
2: I was going to say that uh, one of the key aspects when I think about data strategy and its integration with business strategy is really looking at the temporal nature of data strategy. Things that can be done today based off of what you already have, let's get to it and get those actioned on. Being able to think about what you could enhance by making additional purchases, additional connections, et cetera, that's in, say, the one to two-year time frame. And then how could you actually change the world <laughs> that you live in and create some, uh, I don't necessarily want to say disruption, but being able to think outside the box of what could be if you take your data to this level, or if you integrate these new ways of actioning, leveraging data and technology that maybe is three to five years down the road, and maybe even some really far out 10 years where you may need to actually even help invest in making those changes. And so there are different points of the decisions that are being made now, next year, a little bit in the future and way down the road if you can actually strategize about how data can help.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: I think, and now uh, if you were looking for a concrete example, um, like I I, I work within the risk organization at the bank, for example, and uh, one of the things we do is how can we use data to manage risk, right? Um, so, I mean, the risk can be costly if, for example, there is a data breach or or maybe from a um, loan origination um, strategy, I want to know where I should kind of target, which markets I should target. Uh, then you look at climate risk, you know, climate risk is coming, it's impacting, you know, areas with high volumes of uh, water, right? So I should use that data to understand my market and then cater my my origination strategy based on that. So this is an example, where data can be an enabler to deliver business value by reducing the risk of where we're originating loans, for example, like on, on real estate properties.
0: I, I totally get that. That's I, I was also in banking and I think risk is a, such a u, nice use case uh, to yeah. go for in, in a way. And it's also... Um, I, think, I think then the question comes, okay, the strategic decision makers that used to make decisions on which takes, which risks to take on the books, uh, they were doing this somewhat differently before data and analytics was there. How do you get them to change their mind and make use of analytics and do it now differently and create the value? How did you go about that?
4: I think a lot about this. Yeah. Um, I have found that data by itself doesn't move people. Um, And so I can build a great data platform and I can have all the data quality and governance and people can have these wonderful dashboards. So what is what I have found in my experience and truly tying back any type of decision making to have data inform a narrative that's really, really specific in nature about a business problem or a customer problem you're trying to solve and what the data shows about it. Um, I think from a product perspective, that is table stakes for any time you're deciding what to keep and what to kill um, and what to pivot on. Um, And and just building out and providing data to your executives without context, without a narrative, and without sort of a vision of what that data is telling you, tends to be really big disaster in getting any sort of initiative pushed through. Um, and so I, I, I tend to think about this quite prolifically, building a data platform of how do I tie this back to a business problem that they're really struggling with? And how can I use that data to inform the narrative that I'm about to share with them?
0: Yeah, because in a way, when you touch to a business strategy or when you touch to a decision maker and you go like, let's make your decisions data informed, if you have someone in front of you that uh, that uh, that receives, is, oh, am I making the decisions wrong right now? <laughs> because these people used to make decisions quite all right. Huh? So the company I'm working for is now existing for 150 years and more, 152 or so. They were making quite all right decisions. They survived, I guess, Bank of America as well for a long, long time. What exactly is the point? Like, how do we get them to this? It, this is how it is different huh? because data itself doesn't matter. Platform for sure do not matter. Uh, <laughs> it's true. Cover moves. Everyone hates it. But like, how do you get them to change their mind? I think, I think the key here in, in
3: the days we're living in right now is speed of availability of data, right? So things are happening in the environment at a high speed that if you're not catching up, Really quickly and making decisions very fast, you're gonna find yourself kind of <laughs> in the back seat. Whereas, like with big organizations and the organizations are trying to make a difference in in the uh, in their space, speed is uh, is essential. The traditional ways are very slow. Like for wait for I don't know ten people to work on something and and. Uh, can I create a report for me after three, four weeks? That's already too late. Like, look at what happened in the pandemic. Look at climate. Look at SVP. You know, SVP at the Silicon Valley Bank when the meltdown happened. People wanted information instantaneously. It was impossible for us to wait three three weeks to get an answer. Mm-hmm. That's where where I th- what's that's one of the levers I would use to say, look at what data is bringing you. I have access to how customers are behaving every hour. You know, um, I I know what the markets are doing. I know what my competitors are doing. So this is power. I think the speed and accessibility is what brings power to the business. And that's kind of where you start shifting. Oh, I can do that in this much time. Then, then they start getting more buy-in. In Ghana and Michael, you just made
2: extraordinary points on all of this. One of the visuals that I um, try to use in this space is thinking about when we first got cars, right? Because all of this is innovation. So we first got cars and you had a Model T Ford, and there's a person cranking in and and maybe you have another person riding with you, and the two of you are you know working magic because now you've got you know independent horsepower. <laughs> but now we've got, you know the Formula One that has sensors on everything, the tires. And so, the, the, how the driver is driving has to have input. Every aspect is having input. And that's how our businesses are functioning now. And to the points that everyone just made, previously, we had so much less to do. And now we have to take into account new capabilities, New that the ecosystems are changing at a pace faster than ever before. There's too many aspects related to business agility, the ecosystem, How can you identify blue ocean methods? And all of this related to assessing your opportunity and your risks simultaneously. And the only way that you'll be able to do that is having your trusted pit crew, which is not just in data, right? But across your organization, bridging the the gaps across the organization so that you can take in from others to be able to make decisions faster than you ever have before.
4: I think if I add, um, I I really love what you said that because I think the bigger problem that I often see when dealing with anyone in a senior leadership role is a lack of focus because they just have so much input coming at them and if they are not laser focused on what their own strategy is and what they want their data to do for them and how it informs a company decision making um, you know I think of a strategy truly and I forget who said it maybe it was Melissa Perry or she stole it from someone but she. she she quoted someone to say that the strategy is nothing more than a framework by which in which you make decisions. And I think really, really happily about that. And so how do I help my executive focus on what's the one problem that if you had to solve or else you would get me fired, what would it be?
1: And
4: what's a bad thing (laughs) to happen? And I pulled that from my CEO, because Mm -hmm. he always loved that question. But I really think getting someone to focus really specifically and just cut out the noise and think about what it is the problem they want to solve it's really really valuable
0: well i think you said uh, wonderful things uh, out there so the speed uh, speed of decision making agility that it brings and also like uh, bringing focus in with the questions so what i liked uh, about uh, what you do michael is like asking the right questions even to get this strategy focused in um, and then how can analytics uh, help you out there I wonder, uh, so you you, you play different roles in the organizations. How do you get a seat at the business strategy when it is shaping up so you can actually ask those questions? Um, I think it's an evolution in in the
3: companies, right? Like if you look at, like you were saying, when we were (laughs) paper-based, data did not mean anything to anybody. I have all my system in papers, kind of oriented system. It's it's in evolution. It's having the right conversation with the stakeholders, bringing value in in uh, in small kind of uh, gradually to to the business. Um, you'll start getting more attention um, when you solve big problems, big business problems. When you mitigate big risks for the for the for the company, um, then you start having more value. It's, it's an evolution. It's a cultural change. I think Beth talked about that. It doesn't happen overnight. Uh, if you're starting right now, give yourself a good two or three years to start <laughs> seeing meaningful change in the culture. Um, it's the nature of people, unfortunately. They get used to something that they want to change. Um, having the conversations bringing value, I think it's the key. I, I want to add to that. That's so powerful what you just said, Ghana. Um,
2: But it's not just the data people that need to change the culture, right? The entire organization needs to have a cultural shift where we communicate and pull up feedback, right? So I think some of the simple steps are, I I think about um, the atomic habits, for example, where habits of how you work, tying to the ways of working are things that can be done that begin to break down some of those barriers and walls and zip all of this back up. And that means thinking about this from a sales to marketing perspective, right? Like how do we sell what we do in a way that welcomes people in and they want to work with us on a daily basis on all levels of the organization, right? I, I had a chance to talk with Stephen M.R. Covey, the son of Stephen Covey of the um, Seven Habits, and he wrote the book Trust and Inspire. And I, I asked the question, like, how do you see data in this trust and inspire? And he said, it's critical. And where do you start? Does that come top down or bottom up? And he says, it starts from wherever you are. And
4: that's it, right? That's such a warm feeling.
0: Yeah, exactly. It doesn't matter.
4: Yeah, I tend to be very shameless. I set up a lot of one on ones with people just to get a better understanding of how they're using data, what they're what they want out of it, what problems they have with their current data platforms, because we're kind of internally competing informally with the data platform. Um, And just work my way through to a lot of people who are interested in this sort of new design of a data mesh and what it could possibly do for them, but then also really like, yeah, we've got a lot of problems. You should go talk to this person. And I always end a meeting if they haven't referred me to someone is to say, who should I talk to Mac? On Yeah. Because I have so many 30-minute, one-on-collect people across the organization. Then I bring, like kind of like uh, what we've done here, is bring people who are interested in a specific topic together and start building out informal practices where we can really talk about how do we flex this. Um, our biggest concern, though, and moving that culture forward is accountability, and enforcement, mm-hmm. and incentivizing the right behavior, which I think goes back to a data strategy. Specifically, is how do I incentivize now that I've created one people to follow it, and how do I also hold people accountable to following it? Um, and again, you need data to do that.
3: Yeah, and I would add on the topic that um, again it goes back to culture and how you build it and enhance it. Like, can I can expand it is data literacy.
2: Like,
3: how much can you teach? people in your organization outside of your data team to be advocates for how much value you're bringing. So the more you can have supporters across the organization, the the higher your voice is at the table when they're making decisions and we're defining business strategy. So data literacy is a key component of uh, making sure you can push your culture change within the organization uh, from where you are. (laughs) Uh, into into all the different uh, branches within your different teams. I was just to say I wanted to add
2: on to what both of you just said, um, because the concept about being data literate and incentives are are to me are highly tied together. Because oftentimes we see that we work toward one goal, and just a simple example, I was working in a space trying to um, figure out how. Um, pharmacy retailers could get patients to be more adherent to their medications. And we realized that there were two different groups with completely conflicting goals. You had one who was trying to improve medication adherence, the other who was trying to onboard new patients. But new patients are very non-adherent. So these two goals, which are great goals, are in complete conflict. So how do you bring two groups together to say, Let's balance or segment to be able to create different metrics that meet the conflicting goals of our organization and rise everyone else.
4: I, I want to add, because, Scotty, you, you you touched on something that just spot for me for what Beth was adding then starting where you are. How many organizations across the wide berth of the organization have no idea where they are? And so sometimes it's really important. To really run a data assessment whether it's formal or informal i think a simple microsoft forms to capture uh quantitative and qualitative feedback about data practices data purposes data leadership in um, an organization is really helpful to start painting that narrative um and i i really appreciate you think of what you said is that it's not just the data folks that need to be involved. Mm-hmm. Uh, i really love this uh conversation that margaret heffernan has in a lot of her lectures where she talks about it takes everyone it's not just yeah. her sort of analogy of super chickens, if you've ever heard her TED Talk, is really wonderful, is that it's not just your people who are super experts in this, but you need red hats, you need people who are analysts who use that outcome, uh, and you need people who just maybe don't know what they don't know to give you that feedback to highlight where problems might be.
3: Exactly. Yeah. If I can have my business users speak about what data is giving them to my CR or to my CEO or to my... A chief Data Officer, that's success, right? So you have more like an army of people advertising what what you're bringing, right? Totally, exactly. The partners
2: talking about how they're using data, not the data people talking about how to use data.
0: Much more powerful, much more effective. If you if you ask me, over the last uh, I don't know eight nine years, what what is one thing that I'm uh, proud of? is actually the uh, we set this target last year at the end of the year for all the leadership team that is reporting to the board, so the top 100 or so, that they're going to go through a data literacy learning experience completed. So that was number one target in the first half of this year, which was the event happened uh, uh, at the beginning of June this year. And the second target we set, and now we're going to uh, start measuring it, is, uh is uh, uh, the percentage of managers and plus that are making use of global insights during their decision-making processes. So it's really like measuring adoption, but at manager level, uh, really focusing on uh, are we using insights during the decision-making processes. What I heard us saying, and it's like a bit of a check-in, are we saying that the business strategist needs to be data literate and when they're building their strategy, they should actually think about analytics, AI, insights, how this is going to actually improve what they
4: do. A hundred percent. Yeah. Like, how do you build a data strategy without, it, or how do you build a company strategy without having data inputting into how you're building that framework by which you expect people to make decisions? Um, I, in, a, in my world, there's no way you can do that effectively and hope that you're going to achieve success.
2: So I have some strong feelings on this. <laughs> <laughs> get it out, get it out. Your own. We are here. I, I think that there's a reason why we all have our different strengths. And I think the key to the business isn't so much that they need to become data literate, but more fluent in what data can bring to them and recognizing their blind spots with regard to data and when they need to bring experts in. So it's a, it, the, the critical part there is not that they need to become data literate. It's that they need to create data partnerships with their internal organization such that they sit at the table with them as their trusted advisor.
0: Did you, did you read this book? It's uh, called uh, The Digital Mindset by Paul Leonardi. And the premise of th- the book basically says following. So it, he says, hey, uh, to have a digital mindset, it doesn't mean that you need to be like 100% uh, uh, digital expert or uh, we don't expect the business people to be the 100% data scientists or analysts, uh, experts, et cetera, right? But the, the premise of that was like, I'm not... Uh, native English speaker, for me to be able to speak English, if I know 15% of the vocabulary, I'm good. That's what I use. And uh, and that's fine. That's just like helps me survive in this world and uh, and steer through it. It's the same about uh, they, when I'm thinking about data literacy and uh, business strategists becoming data literate, I think about that 15%. Like if they understand 15% and can speak the language uh, um at the, around 15%, we should be fine. I think because I think I really think they're the ones uh, that can uh, reimagine the way they're doing business right now and then uh, think about, okay, what are these decisions that I can let go and give it to the machines so that, uh, that uh, a, an algorithm can do it for me? What are the decisions that I really need uh, insights and uh, how I can do this differently. For them to be able to think through this, they really need to understand, I think.
2: So I think they need to understand their blind spots again, right? I think about that Formula One crew, right? And let's say I'm the person in charge of um, oil for the, whether whether there's enough oil to be able to, you know, gear the, the machine. And the decision about whether it's time to bring the car in, right? Now maybe from the oil perspective I'm good and I say no. But the tires are at a point where if we don't change them now we're going to end up having a blowout or the weather is about to shift and we need to switch to a different tread of tire. Uh, and and so taking in the totality of what's happening may make the decision that it's time for a, a reevaluation a reset of what's happening with our machine. And as the oil person, I don't need to know about tires. I just need to know that that's an input that I need to take into account.
0: Mm-hmm. Totally,
3: that's a hard one. Like, <laughs> like to see your blind spots and and kind of proactively tackle them. Um, it's against human nature, I think. <laughs> <laughs> they get. I people get so protective of what they know and what not. I mean, it's real, right? You, you deal with different personalities and um it's hard for people to admit and seek help they say some people no, I'm not I'm not generalizing but it is it is a psychological problem to say like well i have nine spots i'm gonna go seek help it it's it takes a, it takes a effort to do it it doesn't come naturally spot on number one
4: 100 i think we could talk a lot about just in general the concept of ego and how it plays into decision making
0: exactly <laughs> I think we all need a therapist right now.
4: Oh, my God. 100 percent for decades?
0: For initiating that, like yeah. people to talk
2: about those things. I'm sorry. Go ahead.
4: No, I, I think it's so important. But I think going back to like your strengths, understanding you are not going to be strong and everything is so important. And just knowing why you are strong in some things and why are weak in some things like everyone always sort of says, you've got to level up your weaknesses. And I throw that out the damn right. Um, I am someone who says, there's a reason those are weak. You're either not interested, you're not focused on it, it's just not interesting to you. You or it's just not a skill set that you want to cultivate because not, it doesn't come naturally to you. Play into what you do and find the allies who can work with you to elevate those weaknesses and cover those blind spots for you to your same point, path around, if I know oil, I may not know tires, but I've got a whole team around me and I can say confidently, I don't know that answer, but this person does, let me pull them in. And we often find, uh, I think in large enterprises that there is this need to know everything. Yeah. The first thing I always say is I'm the local idiot in the room. I don't know anything. So what I don't know this to be a lot and I'll pull in the people who do
2: That's a lot. <laughs> yeah. I do the same. That's exactly it. Like, I'm sorry. I don't know anything. I'm going to ask a million questions. I'm going to irritate you all.
3: <laughs> yeah.
2: And oftentimes the, the question that I think is the dumbest that all the rooms in the header, all the heads in the room are saying,
4: thank
0: you for asking
4: that question. Yeah. hundred percent.
0: All right. I wanna change gears. Is that okay? Because they talked uh, a lot about business, business decision makers, how to tie the strategy and all. You still, we still need to build data strategy. We still need to build data products uh, um, in in one way or another. How could we do the data work? In a way we keep showing the value and the connection with the strategy because the data work also takes long, lots of effort. And underlying uh, bits and pieces are sometimes very, very difficult to explain. What are your strategies? How do you go about it?
3: Uh, from my experience, again, I start small and tie to business priorities. That's the only way to kind of find your way. Um, if I'm doing something that's not going to feed into a priority and important thing for the business, it tends to kind of sit on a shelf for a very long time and then people forget about it. Um, so I, I, again, when you when I build my data strategy for anything I'm doing, it had on the first section of it is like what are the business objectives? What are we trying to do? And for each business objective, this is what I want to do in order of priority. Then we can tie it to investment: how much money is going to cost, how much resources, how much time, and then what's the return on investment? So kind of take it end to end. It, it has worked. <laughs> um, it wasn't perfect. I mean, we had to reiterate, you know, that's part of the deal, right? So you kind of pause in the middle and see, did I do well? Did I, am I progressing? Uh, if not, then the circle back. Where did I miss, right? Is, is Are the projects well aligned or not? Is my data strategy well aligned or not? So the iteration is important because you, most probably you're not going to get it 100% correct the first time. Uh, I can definitely add into this
2: everything they got to just said straight up, uh, exactly spot on. What I will add is as we're doing particularly innovative work, return isn't going to come tomorrow, right? So recognizing that it's so far down the road, we need to sometimes kind of transform how we think about value. Because in real innovation, there may be some baby steps that don't have a return it's it, the first step may be is this even possible? right technologically possible or regulatory possible are the and and so being able to recognize that there are value steps that aren't necessarily revenue, but that you're working toward those revenue and when and being honest and transparent about how long it will take to get there and to the point God I made the investments that would be required so that you have baby steps along the way to be able to say, do I, do I need to stop here? Or should have, are all the arrows pointing in the direction of saying, keep going, right? And the other part to that is being able to say that when something I, I consider when value is unlocked, is that not only is the data ready, but the entire organization is ready and they are sitting on it. But that's the point at which value begins. Someone is taking actions. And if you can't actually tie any actions to what you're doing with this data, then you shouldn't have even started. <laughs> it needs to lead to actions. at some point.
4: Yeah, I don't think I have much to add. I think, Beth, you summed that up so beautifully. Um, and I, I just want to really emphasize the action part of that. Uh, good data should have action assumed to it.
3: And what I would add, again, kind of to complement what Beth's saying, value does not have to be money all the time, right? Return on investment could be that I mitigated a risk um, Mm -hmm. or because if a risk really kind of happens, then it might be more costly than not investing, right? So that could be one way. Resource save is a big one, right? So how much, if I do something, how much resources am I saving? It could be people, it could be technology. Uh, am I am I simplifying a process, making it more effective? So all of those bring value that are not directly related to a dollar value, but, but they are value. They are business value that might resonate
4: with people. Yeah, I think um, I have a thought to add. Um, clarifying the value you do want whether it is a mitigation of risk whether you want to chase new revenue using data uh, maybe you want to use that data to fuel new business decisions as opposed to mitigate risk or chase revenue and drive new product development like having that clearly defined up front to some degree you're never always going to get that notice perfect but is really helpful i think the other thing also is just being clearly honest that if you're going to do innovative work yeah 50 of the time it's going to fail Yep. And you're going to iterate over and over and over again. And you still may never iterate to success. And that's okay. You just have to be comfortable with that and make certain that you are eliminating and killing the thing without without dying into this fallacy of some costs. But then if you're just trying to improve what you already have, then focusing on what it is that you want to improve specifically, whether you want better data governance. So how am I going to do that? If you want better data sort of definitions and tagging to power some new feature down the road. Uh, What does that really mean and what's the impact of it? How are you, how do you expect to get value from your data up front is a really important question to ask.
2: So one thing that you just said, Michael, is again, something I'm so passionate about. The failure. Failure is not a failure if you capture the learning, right? But that learning means to not just sit with whoever experienced it. That learning needs to be shared, right? This is a part of feedback. And so to a degree, a failure needs to be celebrated so long as you capture what you've learned from it. You can't just say, oh, it was okay to fail. You have to be able to articulate what you learned and give that back in so that you actually can evolve.
4: Yeah. And some of those failures can be really, really damaging to egos and you have to package them up right, but they are really important to share. I think sharing new product launches and successes is just as important. And the, to your point, failures should be shared um, just as widely to, to an entire organization. Say, hey, this is something we tried. We botched it up. But we would love for someone else to think through and provide ideas on where, where maybe they thought because there's so many innovative ideas that just sit out there.
2: And being able to share it in a way that you don't discuss it as failure.
4: Yeah. Like, it, yeah, it just didn't work. And we're, we're celebrating that, like, this is what we learned. Yeah. And we do about where to go from here, but we're just sharing it in case someone else has an idea.
2: Exactly. Because one of the key things that I see happening, particularly in very large organizations, is that they go down a pathway. Maybe they had blind spots and they didn't go looking for them. They come to a conclusion and say, this failed but if they had actually taken into account their blind spots is that they needed this whole other capability that's available, but they didn't include in it. And so they'll say that a whole area is a failure and then not want to come back to it when if they could turn on this other capability, it would actually be potentially a huge success. And so by actually communicating some of the failure, that may. A- allow the other group who understands this other capability to say, "Hey, you know what? Maybe if we incorporate this, this could actually turn your failure into
0: success." I love that, Beth, uh, but uh, you took a uh, failure out, and uh, and uh, what I heard was like upfront, 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 like upfront identify what is the action upfront identify what is the value upfront identify what is the decision that you're willing to say. And uh, I have, uh, that reminded me two very funny conversations I had with uh, CEOs of, uh, of, uh, of different companies, not the same guy, but like I had two different uh, people telling me, uh, everyone is building a data lake, a bit like data mesh right now, everyone is building a data lake, I think we should build a data lake. <laughs> and I was like, all right, what color would you like to have your data lake? In a, in a way, like, what is even the reason to build a data lake right now? Also, that's the upfront bit. Like, uh, it's almost like uh, everyone is doing this, let's do it. Uh, data mesh for me is also like, uh, I told Scott as well. And I think that's how we ended up here. Uh, <laughs> 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 if I cannot explain, like, why are we... Going to go for a data mesh from the value and business strategy tying perspective. What is even the point? The second, uh, the second uh, uh, question uh, I had was also like, uh, it's a very valid, very, very valid, valid use case. Huh? So uh, we, uh, the ask was like, yeah, we should build customer three sixty. We should build customer three sixty. I go, okay, we will build customer three sixty. But what is it that you're gonna do about it? why do you even want to have a customer 360 with you it's just like something that is hurt sometimes uh, that's how I see also like uh, the the this uh, this literacy gap somehow also turns around and if you're not very upfront and you go with actually the ask you can again end up with hey building a lake building a customer 360 we uh, building a data mesh it was actually asked by the business but by someone actually who cannot really, uh, upfront, talk about the actions that uh, that uh, that they're going to take to actually create value out of it. That's right. I mean, people
3: like to go after the shiny toy, right? Exactly. <laughs> yeah, that's why it's just
0: like it's that trend, like AI right now, right? So yeah. <laughs> we, we do want generative AI. <laughs> yeah, people
4: people just want to focus on technology, technology, technology. Um, I think it was Doug Laney in Infonomics. He said, these organizations have an IT department, but they never think about the possibilities of separating I from the T. And so many organizations really think, if we just have this technology, all our problems are going to be solved. It's like, no, there's so much culture that you need. There's so much sort of like, you have to put in the incentives and accountability standards to make that happen. Just because you have a cool technology doesn't mean, I mean, how many times have we in our organizations implemented new tech, Due to disastrous internal effect. And then we wonder, well, here we are. <laughs> oh.
2: So it's interesting again, coming from a, a world where um, our for for 75 years, a company was just building products with data, like everything was it. And so it's always innovation, which means you're always terrified, <laughs> right? <laughs> you never know what you're doing, you're you're solving brand new problems that have to actually change significant behaviors for an entire industry. Right? Not just your 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 team, but an entire industry. And coming from that lens, it's just fascinating as we head into this new world recognizing that we have to be partnering and act as principal consultants for our customers, right? Because they don't think in the data world and we don't think in their business world in exactly the same ways, but the complement of those two things is just so powerful. So sometimes sitting down in in and thinking about if we're hearing cool new things happening, somebody is doing something with it somewhere. So how could we apply these new data and technologies to our business problems in a way that would, you know blow their minds in terms of capability to be created, right? But thinking about that from a prototype perspective, right? Starting small, like I think, Gotta you said this earlier, think big, start small, right? Here's the vision of what we'd like to be able to do one day. How could we actually return value today by taking a small step that enables us to grow in an organic way in this pathway, but doesn't necessarily lock us in. Because that's the big problem of today, right? Everything's evolving and changing so fast, you can't get locked in. And that's one of the power of the, the data mesh, right? Is
3: that it doesn't lock you in. And yeah, that's wow. right, exactly. I mean, that's the point of um, like periodically on your roadmap, stop reassess refit your 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 roadmap right otherwise you're going to be stuck in a static thing by the time you finish you're outdated already so <laughs> um so you have to be kind of flexible in that way to get to your vision
4: and I think Beth you you hinted around uh, the concept around behavior and I am someone who views that your best data indicates behaviors um so you performance for a platform, you have like sales metrics. But like if you start looking at customer usage patterns, um, habits of your internal teams, all of those are really measures of what the behaviors are. And if you can figure out ways to quantify behavior, and then point in like, ah, this is the behavior that's breaking and preventing us from getting to the outcome that we want, how do we move that number? And what are all the inputs? I think Petra Willy has a really great article. Um, about KPI trees and how you start cascading your data uh, quantification to say, oh, this leads to that, which leads Uh -uh. to that. But if I start here, I can indicate and impact all those lagging indicators. And I think that's so important from a strategy, from an implementation perspective, from any new product development. That is key.
2: That's exactly it. And it's funny because one of the talks that I'm giving these days is about giving people, um, giving and receiving feedback. And when people, somehow everyone kind of relates to the concept of feedback. And then I add, well, data is feedback and feedback is data, right? They, they are one in the same. It's a question of taking this feedback and turning it into something that's quantifiable, right? And right. Everyone can relate to the concept of feedback, but they don't necessarily have the capability to turn feedback into data, which can be leveraged at a larger scale. And that scalability is what the data side of feedback brings to everyone, right? In, it, on a variety of levels, being able to take multiple actions, uh, being able to share that insight and, and understanding into many more people, you know all the different ways that scalability uh, basically creates higher return for everyone.
0: Wow, I would never think about data is feedback, but you're so right. It's uh, I have like now uh, the bubbles uh, in my head. Uh, super cool. Uh, look, we're coming to an end. I I think uh, I truly enjoyed this conversation. I have a couple of ta- takeaways in my mind, uh, including data is feedback. But I wanted to do a bit of a round on uh, wrap up thoughts. I will I will kick over. I think uh, what I heard uh, is uh, so. How do you, the, what we started with? Uh, how do you tie actually the business strategy to data strategy, and uh, and vice versa? What I heard is always start with uh, uh, when you are doing your data work, always start with that business priority outcome in mind, and then do it small bits and pieces. If it is innovation, accept it's gonna fail. Try sharing across the board so that you can make it better. Uh, with your learnings. And also always communicate, communicate, communicate and make sure everyone has right incentives in place so that the behavior is moving forward. That was my main takeaway.
3: Yeah, for me, it was um, kind of, again, tying business to data strategy. Uh, um, value does not have to always be dollars, right? um uh, l- learning the psychological aspect of admitting failures and what to do with them um being transparent about it creating the culture where you can bubble up your failures in a safe way where it's lessons learned more than um uh, more than a kind of a failure a real failure <laughs> uh, enjoyed the, the conversation i know um i learned a lot um, so again uh, looking forward to keep talking
2: I, I will add to this everything all of you said
3: already, um, and,
2: and it's just been phenomenal to meet the three of you. I hope that we get to continue to talk in the future and recognizing that you know, a lot of organizations and people working in data are challenged with a lot of the same problems, and that actually creating community and sharing that uh, both within ourselves and across the divide potentially will allow us to create those safe spaces of community to be able to move this forward. So thank you.
4: Yeah, echo, echoing the face and just the gratitude to be able to, you know, sit and have this conversation with the three of you. It's been absolutely a pleasure this morning. Um, I think one of the biggest takeaways I'm going to take away from is, uh, Beth, what you talked about between data fluency versus data literacy. And like, I'm a big proponent of that. Like, I just need to be fluent enough to be dangerous and that's it um you know i i really really uh, loved that concept um there and then i think just the overall conversation of uh, tying back uh your data strategy to what what your company wants to do and what it wants to do with those um you know again that's something that i think we all really touched on and i i just really appreciate that as someone who uh does not consider themselves anything more than data fluent i feel uh uh, validate it that my thoughts here today are shared by folks that I would say are probably much more data flow than I am.
3: Well, I didn't imagine talking about data at 7 a.m. in the
4: morning would be fun.
3: So.
0: <laughs> 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 not indeed. Fun. That's right. Yeah. Thank you so much, everyone. Lovely community. Thank you to the Data Mesh uh, Radio as well. Um, and it was a very, very big pleasure to be with you all. I'm grateful for this conversation as well. Thank you.
1: Awesome. Thanks so much. Thank you. I'd again like to thank the participants today. Berthe Gultekin, the Chief Data and Analytics Officer at Friesland Campina, who facilitated a discussion with Gada Rishani, who is the Managing Director of Data and Technology, Strategy, and Project Management Office at Bank of America, as well as guest of Episode 206. Beth Bauer, CEO at her own consulting company, Poseroy, and guest of Episode 218 and Michael Toland, Senior Product Manager, Consultant, and Coach at Pathfinder Product Labs. You can find a link to their LinkedIn's in these show notes as per usual. Thank you. Panels really are my favorite. And no, it's not just because I don't have to do the hard work. I, I swear, they give you a chance to hear from folks entirely devoid of my own views, which I think is crucial in our learning journey to figure out how to do data mesh well. Hopefully this one was super useful for you. Please do consider getting in touch with guests from the show. Almost all guests have said that they'd really love people to reach out. Data Mesh Radio is again provided by Data Mesh Understanding and is produced and usually hosted by, you know, except for these panels, by me, Scott Herleman. Do check out our website, datameshunderstanding.com for more information. I think you'll be pleasantly surprised by our offerings and some of the free programs out there. I hope you have a great rest of your day. And with that, let's hear that funky outro music. We'll <laughs>